Daniel 9, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 19. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We've not listened to your servants, the prophets, who have spoken your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all of the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. And have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servant, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers, who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity for under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, Because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, 
but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reading of your word. We thank you, Father, for preserving this great prayer for us, Lord, that we may learn so many things from it. We thank you for your kind and loving hand that Father has given us these things. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit whom enlightens us in these things. And we ask, O oh Father, that you would work in our hearts as we, as we attempt to understand. Without you, we have no understanding. But Father, we call on you that you'd be pleased to work in our hearts and in our minds. That Father, we would come to understand that which you would have us learn from this passage. And to these ends, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. When we're studying a passage from God's word, it's often very helpful to uh, have two things in mind. Two questions, if you will. Uh, simple questions. One question is, what does the passage teach us about God? And another very simple question is, what sins are there to avoid? Pretty simple questions. Well, let's apply these Questions to our text. Okay, what does the passage teach us about God? If you look down to verse 7 with me, you see the little phrase, uh, to God belongs righteousness. And if we look down to verse 9, uh, to God, I'm supplying the word God, of course, to God belong mercy and forgiveness. So we see righteousness, we see mercy, we see forgiveness. What other things could we say? Well, we could back up to verse 4. And we could see that the Lord is great and awesome. In fact, <laughs> I'll tell you kind of a funny little story. Yesterday I, yesterday at probably 3 o'clock, I, I suppose, I had a bunch of notes concerning the sermon, but I had no outline. I had really, uh, not without trying, all week I've walked around with this text in a, uh, printed in a, uh, on a piece of paper in my pocket. I've looked at it at every opportunity I've had. I've really... Uh, have sought to study this prayer and study this prayer. And it's been one of those weeks where sometimes the Lord really wants you to wrestle with him in order to uh, get a message. And as of, I think, yesterday at 3 o'clock, I, I had nothing. I had no sermon. I had no outline, no anything. And Tammy was getting ready to leave, and I was just being, just kidding. I said to her, I said, I think I got a sermon. I think we're going to go with verse 4. Uh, which reads this way. I think what we're going we're gonna to do is we're going we're to say uh, the Lord, great and awesome God. I think what we're going to do is we're just going to, we're going to put God, we're, we're going to do a three-point sermon. Great, awesome, and God. What do you think of that? And she gave me one of those looks like, well, that would probably be okay. That'd probably be okay. Um, of course, these would be three really wonderful points, wouldn't they? Great, awesome, and God. But I'm not sure that's exactly what the point of the text is. <laughs> but it was one of those days where, okay, uh, we're going to wrestle for a little while. We could look at our text and we could say, okay, uh, the, the Lord is great and awesome. We're learning this from the text. Um, 
Uh, that, that's really not enough information, though. What text doesn't point in that direction? What text doesn't say, in essence, that God is great and awesome? I don't think there's a text in all of the Bible that would not uh, say that. So we're looking for something a little bit more specific. If we continue, we see that he keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. That's pretty pertinent to our text, actually. That little phrase. Um, and I'll, I'll say more about that here in a few minutes. If you look down to verse 12, we see that the, the uh, text tells us that God is one who confirms his words. You see that? He confirms his words. But I think all of this, and I hope to show this morning that all of this can be summed up really with one word. What does this text teach us about God? It teaches us that he is righteous. That he is righteous. And I hope to show that in a few minutes of how everything really ebbs and flows out of that. How everything really is connected to that one word. Okay, what sins are there to avoid? Well, look with me to verse 6. Daniel says, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers. And to all the people of the land. Some of you might be saying, yeah, we, those who were with us on Wednesday night, the Bible says, yeah, okay. Yeah, these prophets, there they are. They're busy being covenant spokespersons, you know. You might be thinking that because that's what we were talking about Wednesday. Uh, there the servants are. They're proclaiming the covenant to the people. Notice they're proclaiming it to the kings, to princes, to fathers, to all of the people of the land. All stratas of society here are covered, aren't they? God has been very thorough. And he's been very busy sending these prophets. We have not listened to your prophets, verse 6. Uh, skip down to verse 10. Supplying the word we. Uh, we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord. You see that? Skip down to verse 11. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to what? Obey your voice. Verse 14. We have not obeyed. Your voice or God's voice. What sins are there to avoid? Well, not listening and obeying God's voice, huh? Very clearly. The texts are all saying that in some respect, aren't they? So what do we have here? Well, we, what's it teach us about God? He's righteous and merciful. Or we might just say with one word being specific, he is righteous. And what sins are there to avoid? Well, we're not listening to his voice. This is, in essence, what Daniel is taking up with God this morning. I would submit to you. I've been all over this prayer, and I'm pretty convinced this is, in essence, of what Daniel is taking up with God. He is righteous, and we've not listened to you. Or we might put it this way, oh God, you are righteous, and we have not listened. We have not obeyed your voice. And really, in many ways, I think, we could say that Daniel and his people are in this mess for that very reason. They're in the mess for two reasons, in essence. One, because God is righteous, which I'm going to show here in a few minutes. And two, because they've not listened to him. Now, I want to make a couple more connections here. With these two things in mind, uh, let's, let's, let's tease this out a little bit. Oftentimes, we use words. We don't bother to define those words. And righteousness is one of those words, I think. If we say that God is righteous, what exactly are we saying? What exactly 
does that mean? Well, this prayer, this text actually answers that question for us. Um, if you look down with me to verse 14, and this verse 14 is a verse that I've been pondering on all week. Um, in fact, it's the verse that we use for our scripture memory verse this morning. Uh, Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and had brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all of the works that he had done, and we have not obeyed his voice. Okay, several observations here. All right, first and foremost, our two points are in view. We see God is righteous. We see Israel has not obeyed his voice. Uh, Secondly, Daniel is saying something that is absolutely incredibly amazing. I think that it's actually quite jarring and shocking. He says that the Lord has kept ready the calamity and had brought it upon us. He's saying that on one side, right? And secondly, that the Lord is righteous in all of the works that he has done. Okay, in other words, Daniel is saying that the Lord is righteous in bringing upon Israel the judgment that has been brought upon them. You get it? Do you see that in verse 14? And the judgment has been terrible. If you look back to the second half of verse 12, Daniel says, For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. Well, what had happened? Well, we've been over it several times. I've never really gotten into like some of the really, really awful stuff. And I'm not going to go there this morning either. I'll, I'll let you look at it yourself. I'll show you where you can find it. But we saw right from the start that the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, has come into the city of God. He has ransacked and destroyed the city of God. He has ransacked and destroyed the temple of God. He's carried out the vessels that were in the temple of God back to the temples of his pagan gods. And the Babylonians came into Judah. They came into Jerusalem. They came into the city of God with an unparalleled cruelty. There were things done in that campaign that are, if I would explain them to you, some of you know what they are. If I would explain them to you, they would probably make you ill uh, in your stomach. And what is Daniel saying? What is Daniel saying? He's saying that the Lord is righteous at allowing this to happen. It's one of those verses that jar you, isn't it? If you're tracking along with everything that's taking place and you're reading down and you see us, we got a prayer confession here. We can understand that. We get that. And then we get down to verse 13 that starts to suggest this. And then we get to verse 14 where it is made very, very clear. Lord, you've brought this calamity upon us. And you've been righteous in doing so. What is the basis for Daniel saying that? Look at verse 11. Daniel confesses that Israel has failed to obey the Lord's voice. We've got that. That's the sin that we need to avoid here. That's the sin that has been committed. And in verse 11, we say the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us. 
The curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us. Now, what is meant by the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses? Again, this came up Wednesday night, didn't it? Some of you were there Wednesday night. And we talked about the covenant curse. We need to understand all of this language that Daniel speaks here. It's all embedded, impregnated. It is all covenantal language from start to finish. And uh, what is meant by the curse and oath, what is being referred to here is the covenant blessing and curse that the Lord gave Moses to give to Israel just before they went into the promised land. It's uh, uh, given to us in Leviticus 26. It's given to us in Deuteronomy 27, Deuteronomy 28. Uh, I would like for us to turn there. Uh, Keep your bulletin in Daniel 9. And if you will, turn to Deuteronomy 28 with me this morning. If you're using the church's Bible, it's on page 168. I'm not going to read all of it, but I want to read enough of it that it warrants our turning there. It'll be easier for you to follow if you're reading along with me. Deuteronomy chapter 28 will begin with verse 1. Page 168, if you're making use of the church's Bible. Again, the Israelites are about to enter into the promised land. And Moses is, is renewing the covenant. And to these blessings and these curses, Israel has heard these things. They've understood these things and they've given their amen. They've agreed to this. The blessings, starting with verse 1, chapter 28. Moses, speaking the word of the Lord, says, If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all of the nations of the earth. And all of these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be you when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing On you and your barns and in all that you undertake, he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself, as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all of the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity." In the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your livestock and in the fruit of your ground, within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you, the Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all of the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you shall shall only go up and not down if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today being careful to do them. And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today to the right hand or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. What an incredible list of blessings. An unimaginable list of blessings. Now, beginning in verse 
15, Moses declares the covenant curses for disobedience. Now, verse 15, if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes, then I command you today, then all of these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the field. And you'll notice, if you remember from the blessings, many of these curses are just the opposite of the blessings. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall be you when you come in and cursed shall, be, shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion and frustration and all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the pestilence stick to you until he has consumed you off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever, inflammation and fiery heat, with droughts and with blight and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish and the heavens over your head shall be bronze and the earth under you shall be iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder from the heaven dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed. Now the list continues going on and on, but skip down with me to verse 45. See where it picks up in verse 45. All of these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you till you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that he commanded you. They shall be a sign and a wonder against you and your offspring forever, because you did not serve the Lord with your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and th thirst and nakedness and lacking everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away from the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand. Does this sound familiar? Sounds like the Babylonian conquest, doesn't it? A hard-faced nation who shall not respect the old or show mercy to the young. It shall eat the offspring of your cattle and the fruit of your ground until you are destroyed. It shall not leave you grain, wine, or oil, the increase of your herds or the young of your flock until they have caused you to perish. They shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted come down throughout all your land. And they shall besiege you in all your towns throughout all your land, which the Lord your God has given you. Now, the verses that follow continue to describe horrible, horrible, horrible curses. Uh, now, having read all of this, we live in a day when this kind of judgment is hardly acceptable. I mean, there, there are many, actually, who have completely rejected the Bible because of some of the verses that are in these passages. Some of us probably know folks that read passages like this, especially the verses that follow in the curses. And they say, I, I just can't believe in a God like that. I can't believe and uh, I, just can't, I just can't believe this. There are others who have not rejected the entire Bible. They reject only the Old Testament. They embrace the New Testament, but they won't embrace the Old Testament. And this is not a new problem. All the way back in the second century, there was a Gnostic leader named Martian, not to be confused with a little green man. 
Uh, his name is spelled M-A-R-C-I-O-N. His name was Martian, and uh, he, he taught that the Old Testament spoke of a, um, of a different God than the New Testament. That the God of the Old Testament was some kind of horrible monster, some kind of cruel being. But the God of the New Testament is indeed the supreme God, if you will. And of course, the early church rejected this bifurcation. And uh, uh, we see that Daniel, uh, who actually lived through this curse, he rejects that notion as well, doesn't he? Daniel actually lived through it. We have to understand, Daniel knew people who had terrible things done to him in this. Daniel was exiled. He had family, he had friends upon which these things happened. And he embraced the devastation that come upon them. He referred to the Lord as righteous and carrying it out. Now, how can this be? How can this be? It's because God had promised it would happen. He promised it would happen. We learn here what is meant by God being righteous. God being righteous means that he'll keep his He'll keep his covenant. He'll keep his promises. Both his blessings and his curses. If you keep your hand, if you'll put your bulletin in Deuteronomy 28 and go back to Daniel 9 with me. Look with me to verse 4 again. This puts new significance to verse 4, I think. In verse 4, Daniel, he's approaching the God in verse 3 in sackcloth and ashes. He's coming to God humbly. Notice his, his position. And he prays to the Lord in verse 4. My God, he says, to the Lord my God. And made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps what? He keeps covenant. And steadfast love with those who, what? Love him and keep his commandments. This is another way of saying that the Lord is righteous. Because he has covenant keeping. You see why I, I say that the word righteousness really entails this whole thing? I think we can get this whole thing with righteousness. I think we can begin to understand what Daniel's up to here. Simply by saying that, that Daniel is approaching the righteous one. And he's approaching him in confession. You are the righteous one. You have carried out what you said you would carry out. But we have not listened to your voice. To you belongs righteousness. To us belongs open shame. And we have not been without warning. You have sent your prophets to our kings, to our princes, to our people, to everyone, to every strata of society. And we would not hear you. But you are righteous. Now, I want to make a comment here that I made Wednesday night. It's easy for us to get the idea as we, as we look at these things, uh, as we look at these blessings and these curses, it's easy to get the idea that these people are in some kind of performance-based uh, situation. 
In other words, it's easy to get the idea that the people of the Old Testament, they were blessed by their works. They were blessed by their performance. They were blessed by what they did. If they did this, 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 and this, then they were blessed. But if they didn't do this, this, and this, then they were cursed. That's a a radical misunderstanding of what's going on here. If you uh, will, if you notice what Daniel says there in verse 4, he says that the Lord keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who what? With those who love him. And because they love him, what do they do? They keep his commandments. And this is not veiled in the Old Testament. Put your bulletin in Daniel 9 now and look back with me to Deuteronomy 28 and verse 47. And the context is in the curses. And Deuteronomy 28, 47 teaches that the curse came upon them, verse 47, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all the things. In other words, the curses came upon those who did not love the Lord. And because they did not love the Lord, they did not Listen to his voice. Jesus says the same thing. He says, if you love me, you'll what? You'll obey my commandments. They won't be burdensome to you because you love me. But if you don't love me, this is going to be awful. It's going to be absolutely awful. In fact, it's going to be so awful, you're just not going to do it. Now, I want to spend the rest of my time talking about this because you and I have friends, relatives, co-workers who reject any notion of the Lord's judgment. And in their mind, the Lord would never judge anyone in this way. And that having been said, we often cringe when we read passages like Deuteronomy 28, don't we? In fact, how often do you read Deuteronomy 28? Have you read it in the last month? Six months? Year? It's probably nobody's favorite passage, is it? So we cringe when we read these things. Others are completely rejecting uh, the word of God. So how do we minister effectively here? I mean, first of all, what do we say to ourselves? What do we say to others? Let me give you four things. You might want to jot these down. It might be hard to remember them all. But first of all, the first thing is God. God has a right to be angry with those who disobey him, who violate him. God has the right to get angry. I mean, I don't know anyone who argues that we have no right to get angry when someone sins against us or when someone violates us. Does, can you think of anybody that would argue that way? You know, why are you mad? Oh, because such and such did this. And I can't believe he did this. Well, you have no right to be mad. I don't know anybody that talks like that. I also don't know anybody that would that would say you have no right to justice when you've been violated. I don't know anybody that argues that way. In fact, when we've been violated, what do we cry? What does society often cry? I want justice. We might not say that in so many words. In fact, more often what we do is we try to get even. Why are we trying to get even? Because we want justice. Our justice isn't very just. Oftentimes when we get even, we want to do something worse than what they've done to us. Right? But nobody denies that we have a right to be mad. No one denies that we have a right to be to justice. Well, 
This is not our universe. We act like it is, but it's not. It's not my universe. It's not your universe. It's God's universe. Why does he have no right to operate his universe his way? I can't make my heart beat one single time. I am dependent on him to keep my heart beating. I can't sustain my life for one split second. What right do I have to tell God how he should operate his universe? I have no right. Second thing, what makes us think we have a better sense of justice than God? What makes us think we have a better sense of justice than God? We read texts like Deuteronomy 28 and we think that's harsh. We need to remember that we're sinners. And as sinners, we have a tendency to be lenient on sin. We want a grave. We want ourselves to be graded on a curve. Why? Because we know we can't stand on a straight line. And as a result of that, we have a tendency to grade others on a curve. And we hear constantly in our society, listen, I'm not perfect. I'm just human. That's not a good saying. That shifts the blame somewhere else. Who made us human? Jesus was human. He was without sin. So we have a tendency to be lenient because we know we can't stand before the bar. So we judge others on a curve as well. Now, all of this having been said, how can we as fallen sinners possibly be in a position to tell Almighty God who's in possession with an exhaustive language or exhaustive knowledge what is fair Uh, What is a fair punishment for rebelling against him? How can we possibly be in that position to tell God, listen, this isn't fair. That's not fair. That's not just. We're in no position to do that. We have no clue. Listen to what the Almighty God says to Job in chapter 40, verse 2. He says, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answers the Lord and said, Well, behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once, I will not answer. Twice, but I will proceed no farther. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God and can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. And he continues to go on and on. Some of my favorite verses in Job actually. Powerful verses where God finally speaks. There's so much more that could be said. I want to leave you with two more things. Thirdly, when we abandon God's laws, the result is always corruption, oppression, greed, etc., etc., etc. When we fail to listen to God's voice, when God isn't establishing our laws, then where do our laws come from? They come from sinful hearts. What is the result? It's always corruption, oppression, and etc. I want to give you just one example, which really sums this out. When I abandon God's law, which is summarized in two ways by Jesus, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love each other as ourselves, Right? When I abandon that, 
When I have been loving the Lord, my God, with my heart, mind, and soul, I'll give you an example that's really close to my life, my former life, before I come to Christ. What did I live for? I lived to serve money and to get stuff. That was my God. That's what I did all the time. So I'm failing to love the Lord, my God, with my heart, mind, and soul, and I'm out every day trying to, trying to get stuff, trying to get money, trying to accumulate things. Now, this can really take a terrible hold on somebody because, you know, you can quickly get so greedy that you begin to what? Gouge others. You begin to gouge others. When you gouge others, what are you doing? You're violating the second table of the law. In our society, really, what's largely wrong with our economy? I've been saying this for several years. What's wrong with our economy is greed. I mean, that's really, in essence, that's one of the big things, greed, stealing. If I perform a service for you and I charge too much for that service, I have stolen to you to the measure that I've overcharged you. That's failing to love you. Is it not? Now, if someone becomes very successful at that, as many in our culture have, Others begin to look and say, boy, look at that guy, man. He's really got a nice house. He's got a nice, he's got a nice this. He's got a nice that. I think I'd like to have that. wonder how he got that stuff. And you see, it's cancerous, isn't it? I want that stuff too. What do I need to do to get that stuff? What do I need to do to do this? What do I need to do to do that? Next thing you know, others are doing it. Next thing you know, you can't really trust too many people because everybody's gouging everybody. You see how this works? And we could go on with the examples. We could just continue to go on and go on and go on. So you see, to a large degree, these curses are actually the natural consequence of failing to listen to the Lord. It's not that the Lord is necessarily inflicting all of this on people directly. It's the consequence of it. If we fail to love the Lord our God with our hearts and our minds, then we become idolaters. That's harmful to ourselves and everyone around us. And what is the natural consequence of this? Curses. Curses. You remove God's law, you no longer have love or justice. So you see, failure to listen to God is cancerous to society. Uh, The fourth thing, and my favorite actually, I save the best for last. When we think that the Lord is harsh, look to the cross. Look to the cross. Let's all look there right now. Who, when we look to the cross 2,000 years ago on the cross, who was hanging there? Christ. Who is Christ? He's both God and man, isn't he? Both God and man. What is he doing there? He's bearing The covenant curse. He's bearing the covenant curse. He's doing it in order to introduce a new covenant, a covenant poured out in his blood. God is a covenant keeping God. And even when it means that he must bear the curse in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, you can expect him to be righteous and you can expect him to carry out his covenant. So you see, righteousness actually involves mercy too, doesn't it? It involves mercy. Anytime we think we've been dealt harshly with God, you know, we've been dealt harshly with look to the cross. I mean, in the history of mankind, there's only been one innocent 
human being. And he, he isn't me. And he or she isn't you. He is Christ. And Christ bore the covenant curse in our place. In closing, God was patient with Israel. He sent his prophets to them over and over again. But when they refused to listen, he kept his covenant, didn't he? He brought his curse upon them. And Daniel proclaimed he was righteous in doing so. And in the same way today, God is patient with us. He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, keeping covenant love. But he will keep the covenant. And I mean, today is the day of the new covenant. I mean, forgiveness of sins, thank goodness, are available in Christ Jesus. Forgiveness of sins are available by faith in Christ Jesus. And this new covenant is ushering in blessings that are unimaginable to us. As I said in my pastoral prayer earlier, it's good for us to go into the next life and to think and try to imagine things we can't imagine of the blessings that await, the covenant blessings that await us in Christ Jesus in that next life. This is available for those who uh, embrace Jesus by faith and follow him with a loving devotion. For those who love God and follow him in loving devotion, there'll be covenant blessings that are beyond our imagination. But for those who refuse God, just like Israel, we can count on him to keep his covenant. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, O Lord, that you are indeed righteous. This, uh, uh, this sobers us, O Father, uh, but it also encourages us. O Father, you are righteous, and Father, you have extended such great blessings to us in Christ Jesus that are ours for the taking. But O Father, your judgments, your judgments are indeed just. And we confess that before you this morning, Father. And we look to you this morning. Oh, Father, give us grace that we may with Daniel, uh, that we may with Daniel say, Oh, Father, you are righteous in all of your works that you do, uh, even in bringing calamity uh, upon us. So, Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.